As we continue worshiping, receive these words from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we stand before you amazed at your love for us, giving you thanks for all that you have brought us through, for the ways that you give us strength, to encourage us and guide us. And in these moments, as we reflect on our scripture for today, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts together, be acceptable to you, glorify you, O God, for you are our strength, you are our hope and our salvation. Amen. Who among us here today is familiar with the jello mold? I grew up in Oklahoma with various versions of jello as a primary food group. <laughs> my mom didn't so much do the molds, but oh my goodness, some of the folks at First United Methodist Church, Sepulpa, had this thing down to an art form. Some of the folks in my first parish out in Rockville were also pretty high achievers in the jello mold category. Evidently, I've come to learn that my mother-in-law was known in past days as the jello mold queen. Now, why, you may ask, am I rattling on about jello molds on this Sunday morning? Well, I'm thinking about the process of being formed into a particular image or shape. And as you may know, to make a jello mold, you mix the flavored gelatin powder with hot water to dissolve it. You pour the liquid into the mold, you refrigerate it until it gels, and then you turn it out, and the jello has taken the shape of the mold. It's a pretty basic concept, and it's the one that popped into my brain when I started thinking about the, t the topic for today. So there it is. Now you understand. And I've gotten your attention, so there's that. <laughs> Over the past several weeks, we've been 
exploring the Apostle Paul's first letter to the first century church in Corinth and what that letter teaches us about our life together. The cross is at the center of Paul's message and is lifted up again and again as the lens through which to understand how to be in community. Practically, Jesus shows us on the cross the way of sacrificial love and solidarity and models how we are to live with and for others. Our focus, we have learned over these past weeks, is on loving service, not on social climbing or political posturing or forming up teams of us versus them. We've learned that we don't have to have fancy degrees or know all the right words or do things in a certain way to receive the gifts of grace and forgiveness and new life that flow from Christ's sacrifice of love. We've considered the differences between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and learned that our call is to be willing to proclaim in word and deed the unpopular wisdom of Jesus Christ and him crucified. All of this helps us have a frame, provides a frame for us for how to live as people of Christian faith. One of my theological mentors, the Reverend Dr. Serene Jones, taught me that the shape of any given church forms disciples according to that shape. The worship, the language, the theology, the practices, the systems for ministry, the stance towards others and with others, literally what we do, what we say, how we say it, how we organize, all of that, she teaches, forms people in a certain shape, forms certain kinds of Christians. Paul teaches that a faithful church will be cross-shaped. This means in part that the things we see at the cross, surrender, sacrifice, salvation, humility, righteousness, faithfulness, grace, forgiveness, and love, these things are what a faithful congregation will strive to deepen and grow in the lives of its people and community. Some of you will know that many church buildings, particularly of certain eras, were built literally in a cross shape. The classic Gothic cathedral, if you've ever been in one, remember what it looks like. It goes way down this way, then you come up to the center and there's a little center part, and then what happens? It goes this way, and it goes this way. People come into the space and are literally in community in the shape of the cross. That wasn't an accident. It was never an accident. The cross is the mold. <laughs> in both literal and figurative ways, it's the form within which we take shape as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Today's installment from Paul's letter gives us a very concrete measure by which we can see how much we've gelled as cross-shaped community. And it's this question. As long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? This is a particularly poignant question in our current context as a denomination, as a nation, as a world. There's a little quarreling and jealousy out there, in there. <laughs> and honestly, we don't have to go far to see that that question may aggravate a tender place in our own personal lives. Anybody have any jealousy? Any quarreling going on? It was personal for Paul, too. Apollos was evidently seen, lifted up, as an opposing team captain, a popular leader in the early church and well-known in Corinth. But Paul makes it clear that he and Apollos are both servants of God, both sent to serve in distinct ways and both equally valued. In teaching and modeling this, Paul shows us how we are called to serve together and to honor the gifts and the contributions of one another. Even when others, others do things differently than we'd prefer or when they aggravate or challenge us. It's a lesson that Paul is giving us in learning to value our own as well as others' gifts so that we don't get caught in jealous competition. There is no need for that foolishness. We don't need to get caught in jealous competition or soul-sucking comparison games. Paul also makes a very clear point against setting any human leader up as the one to whom we belong. We don't belong to a pastor or a teacher. I, as a pastor among you, am responsible for ordering and supporting our life together in community. And sometimes I do talk about how much I love my foundry peeps. But you don't belong to me. Paul makes it plain a little later in his letter when he says to the church, you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So in these first several chapters of 1 Corinthians, we're given a vision and a framework for how to live together. We know and have learned from our reflection that cross-shaped lives entail challenge and forgiveness and patience and sacrifice. Cross-shaped disciples are called to see beyond any present pain or injustice to the healing and the love and the peace and the justice that is the fulfillment of God's kingdom vision. That seems like a lot of work. And it might seem like too much to do with everything else that you've got on your plate. 
I've been increasingly aware over the last couple of weeks in particular of the weariness and the weight that many of us are carrying in our bodies, in our souls, in these days. The past number of years is taking a toll. Our daily lives and our responsibilities, caring for children, for parents, for friends, for work, for our own health, all of that may feel increasingly exhausting. And the enormity of the brokenness in our world, the daily constant stream of deeply concerning news can tempt us to despair or to completely check out. And I want to gently remind us that the powers of worldly wisdom, the powers of empire, want us to do just that, want us to check out and to give up. The wisdom of empire delights when we become distracted and dissolve into factions, quarrel, tear each other down. Imperial powers rejoice when we become overwhelmed and decide there's nothing we can do. Worldly powers want us to despair, want us to abandon those with and for whom we are called to stand, want us to lose our perspective and to forget who is holding us and all things. The powers of the world want to knock us out of shape. just had a thought. When you sit around doing nothing, you get out of shape. Huh. As those formed by the cross of Christ, we know that we can call on the power of God to resist the temptation to shut down. We can call on the power of God to resist the idolatries of the world, the death-dealing ways of empire, the hope and joy-sucking, droning on of bad news and seemingly insurmountable brokenness. In a cross-shaped community, we'll be reminded when we gather in worship that we serve a God who has shown us through cross and resurrection that even when we feel weak and appear defeated according to the ways of the world, we are yet strong because of God's steadfast love and presence with us. In this Black History Month, I'm reminded of countless examples of black siblings who strengthened by their faith stood up and spoke up and sat down and marched and did not and do not give up, even in the face of deep hatred and systemic oppression. From Rosa Parks to Shirley Chisholm to Dorothy Height to RuPaul, 
from MLK to Jesse Jackson to John Lewis to William Barber. Cross-shaped community strengthens and forms disciples to keep stepping, reminds us that we're not powerless, that we're not alone. Cross-shaped community allows us to practice, to try to practice humility and mutuality and grace and courage and reconciliation, peacemaking, when the ways of the world want nothing more than to make us fight each other. When we're living our call in this way, we work together. We honor the gifts of each one. We bring our collective power to bear on the challenges facing us. This is why we organize with Washington Interfaith Network, just for one example. This is why it's important for churches to be connected and to be bringing our resources forward instead of fragmenting and deciding we're going to go our own little bitty ways into our own little bitty factions so that we can all sit around feeling glad about the ways that we got it right and the others got it wrong. When we are striving to live As cross-shaped community, we hold on to each other and we support one another when any one of us is struggling to keep going on the journey. We remind one another that there is new life on the other side of wilderness wandering and crucifixion. We remind one another that the cross of Jesus has shown us that the worst the world could do is no match for God's life-giving and liberating love. Cross-shaped community forms disciples who are servants, not of empire and worldly wisdom and all the shiny idols that so easily lure and distract us, but rather servants of God's way of mercy and love and justice. We do not have to fix all the jealousy and the quarreling in the world. We do not have to fix the deep divisions, both petty and profound, the brokenness all over. Christ is the savior of the world, not you or me, thanks be to God. And, and, we are called to do what we can do to choose clearly and intentionally whom and how we will serve. How we will honor the gifts of those around us and then serve alongside one another to change the world as part of God's greater work of mending. We do our part. We may design or plant or water or prune, but it is God who will and does bring the growth and the new life. I wanna close with some words that I have spoken and written before. Reference to my book, Sacred Resistance, two weeks in a row. If you haven't read it, you might want to. (laughs) 
There's a whole chapter on what we've been talking about, really, over these weeks, about sacred resistance as a way of life for the church. That's really what we're talking about. An alternative way of living, of loving, of serving, of being in relationship that keeps us grounded and helps us keep perspective. As followers of Jesus and as communities of the cross, our call and our identity is love, mercy, solidarity, and justice. We can turn away from this call out of fear or selfishness. We can live smaller lives than we're made for. We can reject the love that forms and fuels a life that is truly human. That is our prerogative. But thanks be that it's God's prerogative to have mercy on us. Thanks be that in Jesus we meet our God who is radically free and will not be compromised or silenced or co-opted to serve selfish, oppressive, violent human desires. Thanks be that our God hangs in there with us even when we want to trade God in for another model. Thanks be that our God is love and compassion And thanks be that even with so much evidence to the contrary, you and I are created in the image of our God. Thanks be that Jesus took the form of a humble human servant so that we might take the form of a loving, merciful God. Thanks be to God. Amen.